the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, March the 16th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today, on March 16, 1945, during World War II, American forces declared they had secured Iwo Jima, although pockets of Japanese resistance would continue and remain but they were in control. Today in 1802, President Thomas Jefferson signed a measure authorizing the establishment of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, New York. Today in 1926, rocket science pioneer Robert Goddard, he successfully tested the first liquid-fueled rocket at his Aunt Effie's farm in Auburn, Massachusetts. Yeah, out in the pasture, there were actually cows out there. I've read about that. It's an interesting story. It didn't the it it was successful, but the rocket, the liquid fueled rocket, didn't go all that high. But it was a successful test, and it did happen in Aunt Effie's farm in the pasture. <clears throat> Today, in 1935, Adolf Hitler decided to break the military terms set by the Treaty of Versailles by ordering the rearming of Germany. Yes, he did. Today, in 1972, in a nationally broadcast address, President Richard Nixon called for a moratorium on court-ordered school busing to achieve racial desegregation. Today, in 1991, a plane carrying seven members of country singer Reba McIntyre's band and her tour manager that crashed into Otay Mountain in Southern California. Everyone on board was killed a tragedy that she has written a lot about. She wasn't, of course, with the band, but uh, <clears throat> it was a life changer for her as well as the family members of all of those who were lost. Today, in 1994, figure skater Tanya Harding, she pleaded guilty in um, court in Portland, Oregon, to a conspiracy to hinder prosecution for covering up an attack on rival Nancy Kerrigan. She avoided jail, but she had to pay a $100,000 fine. You may remember that. It was a big deal because both she, uh, Tanya Harding, and Nancy Kerrigan were some of the leading uh, ice skaters, figure skaters in the world at that time, and both from America, of course. And um, they were competing. And Kerrigan's husband or ex-husband or something and a couple of buddies went and, and whacked Nancy Kerrigan. I mean, they confronted her behind the stage somewhere, and they whacked her with a pipe or a, a club or something on the knees. And, of course, it put her out of commission. Anyway, Tanya Harding didn't go to jail, but she paid $100,000. That was today in 1994, the hearing. Today in 2004, China declared victory in its fight against bird flu saying it had stamped out all known cases. 2004. And speaking of China, there's a new poll out today by Gallup poll. Americans now view China as the nation's greatest enemy. 
more than doubling the rate from last year, when Americans were equally as likely to say that China or Russia was the U.S.'s greatest enemy. Gallup says this morning that they have found 46% of Americans believe China is the greatest enemy, followed by Russia at 26%, North Korea at 9%, Iran ranked fourth, down 15 points to 4%. So Americans are not all that concerned about Iran at this time, but deeply concerned about China. Had I been contacted on that poll, I probably would have voted that China is the greatest enemy outside of America. Perhaps, though, the greatest enemy lies within, as Nancy Pelosi has been saying, but I would not say that the people she thinks are the enemy actually are the enemy, but nonetheless, Americans are not necessarily feeling very good about China nowadays, and they don't trust them. And there are a lot of them that feel that way. President Biden, he is um, he's saying that help is here. I'm quoting the president. Help is here and hope is here in real and tangible ways. The media is telling you that he and his wife, uh, Kim, and uh, the second uh, husband, I think that is the second gentleman, and the vice president, Kamala Harris are going to be crisscrossing America, and they use the word crisscrossing every time they every time they report that. Well, I think probably Kamala Harris and her husband's going to be crisscrossing the country. I don't think I don't see Joe Biden crisscrossing the country. He made an extensive trip the other day. He traveled 120 miles, 60 miles each way from his home. I mean, from the White House. Now, he's not taking long trips, and he's not crisscrossing anything, but. He is out there, and the press just, I mean, they will do anything for this guy. And so they're out there, and they're following, they're filling in the blanks and, you know, and reporting on what he says, if it makes sense, and they're reporting what he meant to say if it doesn't. Anyway, President Biden said yesterday, he said, in the next 10 days, we'll reach two goals, two giant goals. He said... I will put 100 million shots in people's arms and 100 million checks in people's pockets. Long live the king. That's what he said. He's going to get he's going to give 100 million shots in people's arms and going to write 100 million checks and put it in your in people's pockets. Interestingly enough, moments after that Bloomberg Business was reporting, according to unidentified sources, but Bloomberg is far left. They would have close friends, close to Biden. Biden may have wanted them to put this out there to sort of soften the blow. But not long after he made that 100 million shots in the arm and 100 million checks in the pocket comment, Bloomberg says, quote, President Joe Biden is considering a tax hike to underwrite the economic program launched by the approval of his $1.9 trillion pandemic stimulus package. The tax jump will be the first major lift in federal taxes in almost 30 years, if it is successful. So while he's giving shots in the arm and checks in the pocket, 
he's going to be taking the money out of your pocket to pay for all of it. We knew that already, didn't we? We saw that coming. Yep, taxes are on their way up, according to the people close to the president. Dear Gary, we appreciate and thank you for your unique ministry of combining a biblical perspective and current cultural and political events. Listening to your program is an important event in our daily mental and spiritual preparation. We pray that God will continue to supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. We also pray your ministry continues until the rapture, in parenthesis, soon. I think they mean the rapture, she and she does. She's very well spoken. She means the rapture soon, not my demise soon, but she wants it to last until the rapture. And he raises up fellow supporters during these difficult days. Thank you so much. I hope you're listening today. I think you and your husband listen every day. And thank you for your support to all of you. I would not be here this morning if it were not for you who support this ministry. I could want to be, I could feel led to be, but if someone like myself and whomever is not sent, how can they go? We need people to send us, and many of you do. Each month, you supply the budget for us to do what we do here. I often search for words to tell you how much I appreciate it, and words fail because from my heart, thank you. Thank you so much. If you listen, if you get something from this ministry, this program daily, and you don't support the program, would you consider it? Would you pray and ask God if he would have you to do something for this ministry? And if so, what he would have you to do? And if you don't feel that he wants you to do anything, then don't. But if you do, thank you in advance. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. In his new book, length interview released today. It's going to become a book. They're going to print it, but it's not printed yet. They're releasing the interview, which is a book length interview. It's called God in the World to Come. Pope Francis insists that things will never be the same in our post-pandemic world. I think many of us have come to that conclusion. But as a result of that, he's now calling for a, quote, new world order. A great reset. His words. With a shift away from financial speculation, fossil fuels, military buildup toward a green economy based on inclusiveness. I want to talk to you a little bit about that today because there are a lot of Catholics in this world and he has a lot of influence. He's talking about globalism. He's talking about socialism. I spent some time on this yesterday and I wanted to be sure I really was getting what he's saying. I think I am. I think I understand what he's saying. Meanwhile, President Biden is doing his best to help the Pope at our southern border. But the Biden administration can't even, they can't even say the word crisis. And they use existential threat and existential crisis all the time. But they can't admit that there's a crisis at our southern border. And believe me, there is. 
And I don't have time to get into that today, but we'll be talking about that soon because it's a growing crisis and it's affecting now and later in America. 73% of U.S. voters are very concerned, according to a Rasmussen poll put out yesterday. 73% of U.S. voters are concerned. 48% said they are very, underscore, very concerned about our border crisis. Rasmussen said yesterday a majority, 73% of voters, are concerned about the current surge of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border and opposed plans reportedly being considered by Congress this week to offer amnesty to undocumented immigrants. There's a study out that came out last night, actually, I heard about it yesterday afternoon, and they have found it was a legitimate company, and I honestly can't remember who it was. I read so much yesterday, but it, it was a company, uh, an organization I knew. They're not, not conservative. They're kind of left-leaning, to be honest with you. It wasn't Brookings, but it was somebody, somebody like that, and they said that I mean, on pretty good documentation, there are not 11 million uh, illegal aliens, undocumented, as they say. In America, there's more like 21 million undocumented or illegal aliens in America. I think that's probably true, and most of us suspected that. But the 73% include 48% who express their concern in the strongest possible ways about what's happening on our southern border. And the reasons for concern are many, but one of the immediate things is that they're driving the concern is the number of the migrants that have been testing positive for the coronavirus after being released per Biden policies by the Border Patrol in Texas. The cases have nearly doubled in the past week. I talked about this a week, about a week and a half ago on this program, and it's, it's worse now than it was then. The Trump era policy forced illegals to wait at a camp for their immigration cases to be processed, the camp in Mexico. And the Mexican government was cooperating with our president, Trump, at the time. That was known as the Remain in Mexico policy. So they would wait there to be processed for hardship cases or whatever they claimed into America. But as the Biden administration winds that down, the consequences have already blown up in their face, but they won't admit they won't even say it out loud that there's a crisis there. Even the left, even some Democrats are now starting to say, uh, Mr. President, I think we better take another look at the border. And they're out there every day, every single day, commenting on the challenge on the border. It's more than a challenge. It's stupidity in its finest moment, because if they'd have just left the Trump thing alone, Biden hasn't had any problem taking credit for Trump's getting this vaccine made in warp speed time. He could have taken credit for it and just said, yeah, I did all this and strutted around and does what he does, you know, and he's always done and very arrogant. He could have just done that, but it would have saved us the grief. But now these hundreds and thousands of people are being dumped into the United States without even being processed. And they're testing as high as 25% positive with this COVID virus. The Wuhan virus. Boy, I'll tell you. Anyway, there's reasons for people to be concerned. I noticed Fox News interviewed a guy named Mario from Honduras yesterday. They asked him, they said, why are you coming? Why do you feel you can get into the United States now? And he said, I'm quoting him, in his fairly good English, I spent a lot of time in Honduras and Tegucigalpa, the capital, and all over the I, I know those people. I don't know this kid personally, but 
I probably know his, maybe his family, I don't know. But anyway, he said um, in fairly good English, he said, the president of the United States, Biden, helps the people because it's necessary, you know. He's offering us to come into America. Well, people do need help. That's why I've spent time there. They need the Lord. And yes, they do need humanitarian help. I, there's no question about that. But not this way. Not by giving them America and dismantling a country. But is open borders and socialism, does that help anyone? Anywhere on this planet? And will this new world order help people? Well, Pope Francis thinks it will. He says, quote, the Pope, there is something worse than this crisis, the drama of wasting it. That's echoing the words of Marx and Engels and humanists and secular progressives and cultural Marxists, Gramsci and, and others. Great and small. They're all, that's what they all say. Obama's, some of Obama's people said that. Pope Francis will declare today in this book-length interview, He'll say we can heal injustice by, I'm quoting him, by building a new world order based on solidarity, studying innovative methods to eradicate bullying, poverty, and corruption. He said all working together, each for their own part, without delegating and passing the buck. He affirms this new world order will be based on eradicating inequalities and attending to the environment. He said, we can no longer blithely accept inequalities and disruptions to the environment. And he says in this interview, the path to humanity's salvation passes through the creation of a new model of development, which unquestionably focuses on coexistence among people in harmony with creation. But is living in harmony with Mother Earth really the path to humanity's salvation? I don't think so. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does. She says we have 12 years. She said that two or three years ago. And then we're going to burn. But later in the in the interview, the Pope says that our, our communal home, Mother Earth, is going to throw us out the window if we don't take care of her. He said if we don't roll up our sleeves and immediately take care of the Earth with radical personal and political choices with an economic green turn. Sooner or later, our common home, I'm quoting him, our common home will throw us out the window. His convictions, he says, is that the world needs to be healed from the speculative mentality, to be reestablished with a soul in order to reduce the gap between those who have access to credit and those who do not. French President Macron, when he got a hold of this, he chimed in and he agrees. In fact, he told the recent Davos summit, that economic summit of the superpowers of the world, he said, the Great Reset is upon us, declaring that in the wake of the Chinese coronavirus, modern capitalism no longer works. And everyone nodded. And now the Pope is blessing that. He too is coming alongside that and giving his blessing to it. Against this planetary discord, he says it is nipping the future of humanity in the bud. We need political action that is the fruit of international harmony, urging for an end to short-sighted nationalism and other forms of political selfishness. There's much more, but I'd like to talk to you a little bit today about what God says. 
we now know what the Pope is saying. And that message is consistent throughout this book-length interview. As I said, I spent some time on it. But what does God say? One of the most poignant stories in the Old Testament is the account of Noah's great-grandson, Nimrod. That's why so many skeptics have attacked Nimrod and said, oh, that's just one of the many myths found in the Bible. That's not true. Nobody was building a tower thinking they could build it to heaven. Well, actually they were. And not only the Bible, which is the first and, for, first and foremost authority because it is God's inspired, infallible word, says so, but others. Josephus wrote about it and others. It was pretty well known and has been down through the years, from oral history and then written history. Nimrod was well-known in his time. He was influential. He was respected as a leader among leaders. In fact, he's described as the first of the mighty men to appear on earth after the Great Flood, mighty in stature. and He was a commanding personality, charismatic, commanding. He was big physically. In fact, there were giants on the earth before the Flood. The Bible refers... To him is the first of the mighty men to appear on the earth after the great great flood. His people, there were some like him. As a leader of the kingdom of Babel, Nimrod is well known for his vision to build the Tower of Babel. And it is a true story. Experts disagree about his motives. There's different people, well-meaning, biblical, theological. They have different motives for his belief, you know, why he was building this tower and so on. But... Josephus notes that Nimrod, according to Jewish history, in Antiquities of the Jews, Book 1, Chapter 4, if if you care, he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. And that's pretty consistent with Scripture. For that he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach, so his motive was to avenge God for destroying his forefathers in the flood. He was full of himself, kind of like some politicians are today. In fact, too many politicians are today. But there was this component of rebellion against God in his word. God had commanded the descendants of Noah to scatter and populate or fill up the earth. That was God's plan for that time. The Bible is very clear on this. Rather than spreading out as God had ordered, what did they do? Well, they had settled in the land of Shinar. It's a fertile valley, watered, then watered just you know, just generously by the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. It was a great place to live. They looked at that and said, man, why should we keep moving? Why should we keep going eastward? There's no reason to do that. This is fertile. So once the people reached this plain in Babylon, they started this massive building project. It wasn't just the tower. It was other stuff too, but the tower is the central piece of the story. The city was built in defiance of God's command. The city would establish a unified front against God by preventing scattering. God said scatter. They said, oh, let's stay here and build and really create this this dynamic community. This is a great place to live. It's like, you know, Palm Springs in January used to be or whatever. God responded to that arrogance. It was rebellion. He confused their language, and yes, he scattered them. When God says scatter, my advice would be scatter. Because you're going to scatter one way or the other. We could do this easy or we could do it hard. But, I mean, obey God. They didn't. Nimrod knew the stories. He knew about 
his great-grandfather and all of that, but he still didn't quite think he was, it applied to him. Maybe God's word applied to others, but not him. What is God's plan for people on earth? It was to scatter at that point and populate the earth because the flood had happened. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, Moses tells us that just as the Lord separated the nation Israel, so he ordained the independent existence of all other nations. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set bounds for the people. That's God's word. I'm going to go through a number of verses here if you want to write these down or remember them, or if you want to see them, you can go to faithandfreedom.us. That's our website. I wrote an article on this today, and right now I'm looking at what I wrote, so you can find this there in that um, and these scripture references. Deuteronomy 32.8, he set bounds for people, boundaries. In Numbers chapter 20 and 21, the Israelites, traveling from the wilderness to the promised land, they needed to pass through some territory that belonged to the Edomites and the Amorites. God's people were instructed to ask permission of the two respective kings to travel through their country. In those earliest times of God in his relationship with people and their relationship with him, God was honoring boundaries. Moses told the kings that his people would not stray from the main highway. They would not touch their crops. This is in Numbers 20 and 21, because those things did not belong to Israel. He even offered to pay for the water that his cattle would drink while they were traveling across the country. Moses observed boundaries and property. Establishing borders and respecting borders is righteous behavior in the sight of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it plainly teaches that nationhood was established by God for the purpose of social stability and lasting prosperity. In Isaiah chapter 13 and Isaiah chapter 23, both of those chapters make separate prophetic announcements concerning the futures of ten different nations. God is a God of nations. That is his plan for this time on this earth. Nationalism is not unchristian or not Christian, because a nation ceases to be a nation if its borders are not controlled. And God's plan for this time is that we would have nations and sovereignty. When Paul was preaching the gospel in Athens, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, he said, God, quote, has made us from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. The reason, Paul explains, is that God is very near, but the reason is that they can find God and accomplish his purposes to redeem mankind by the death and resurrection of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. God has deemed that he can reach the nations of the world, the people of the world, through nations and boundaries and national sovereignty in a more effective way with his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God. God has determined that that is the way that he can reach the world with his love, his forgiveness, his restoration. That's biblical. I know that flies in the face of what we hear and what our kids are taught. But that's where we are today. And that is a conflict that we face every day in our culture. There are those who want open borders. They are Nimrod. They have the spirit of Nimrod. And God says, no, that's not my plan for now. 
My plan for now is to have sovereign nations, and they function, and there are different languages, by the way. That's God's plan. Well, I have a couple of more things to say, but we'll continue this conversation tomorrow. Thanks for being with me. Have a great day, and thank you for your support.